Really, what we're, uh, the, the title of the message today is The Multiplying Power uh, of Jesus. And, uh, you know, the church's mission is to fulfill the Great Commission, which is to go into all the world and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that, that I have commanded you. And, and so, uh, God's plan for His church is to see the gospel spread. And ultimately, not just by addition, but by multiplication. There's a verse in Acts chapter 6, and we've talked about this before. But the beginning of that verse says that the word of God spread, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly. One of our core values at True Life says that we impact the world through multiplication. Something that we've taught almost since the beginning of true life is that something that's healthy grows, it reproduces, and multiplies. And that we believe that a healthy church is to multiply disciples, leaders, small groups, and new churches. Disciples, leaders, small groups, and new churches. And so we, we believe that, that our vision, in a sense, a, a biblical vision, is for a local church to impact the world through multiplication as you know, we share the gospel and people come to Christ, as we disciple those people, raise those people up in Christ, develop them as leaders, teach them to use their spiritual gifts, uh, have them you know, serving in ministry, leading small groups, and ultimately as God would call and send some people out to plant churches in different places, we believe when you read the book of Acts, that's how the, the gospel spreads, the church grows, the church multiplies, that that is a biblical vision of ministry. And that sounds great. I hope it sounds great to you. I mean, I hope if you're a Christian, it should. That should be exciting, encouraging. You know, that's a great goal. But at the same time, and this is what I want to focus on today, it's not the kind of goal that can be accomplished in human power. It's not the kind of goal that's going to come about through natural means. It's going to take supernatural power. It's going to take the power of the Holy Spirit. It's going to take the multiplying power of Jesus working in and through us as individuals and churches to see this happen. And like I said, we're stepping outside of uh, Ephesians for a week, but I think this really connects back to what we talked about last week at the end of Ephesians chapter 1, because when you read that text, it tells us that if we're in Christ, that the resurrection power of Jesus Christ is working in us and toward us and, and, and through us. If you missed last week, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to that. I mean, it, it's an amazing text that this, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the Father and placed everything under his feet and made him head over all things to the church is working toward us. But I said last week that I've been wrestling with this personally, and I hope that we'll wrestle with this, that if we believe the Bible is the Word of God, if we believe it's true, I think we have to ask ourselves the question, why don't we experience and see more evidence of that kind of power working in our lives and in our churches? 
Because if, if the world is going to be changed, it's going to come through the church because we have the gospel, which is the only thing that can change the human heart. Uh, if we have the power of God. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the truth. We know the love of God. If the world's going to change, it's going to come through us. And if we want to see that happen, how's God going to work through us to make that happen? And so... I, the question I really want to try to answer today then is how do we experience the multiplying power of Jesus in our lives and in our ministry? And I hope if you're a Christian that, that this is a question that you will wrestle with. I hope that you're not content just to show up at church on Sundays or maybe go to a small group or whatever and think, okay, you know, I've done my spiritual duty, I'm good, because God has a whole lot more for us than that. This is not designed to be a spectator sport. It's designed for all of us to participate together and, and, and to see God work through us. So, like I said, if you've got a Bible, let's go to Mark chapter 6. And I want to look at a story from the life and ministry of Jesus. It must be important because it's actually recorded in all four of the Gospels. And it's the story of uh, that if you grew up in church, you're familiar with it, where the, the little boy gave his disciples, or, or maybe they commandeered it, but he gave them his lunch, and Jesus took it and multiplied it to do a miracle of feeding this large crowd uh, of people. In uh, at least one of the Gospels, it says it was a crowd of 5,000 men, which most Bible scholars estimate would translate to somewhere around 20,000 people, including the women and children. So if, if you imagine, if you've ever been in or seen Thompson Bowling Arena, when it's full, when it's sold out, we're talking roughly that size crowd, okay? And, and so Jesus is ministering to these people. He, he takes this one little lunch and, and multiplies that in his power to feed this entire group of people in a, in a supernatural kind of act. But the thing that we always have to remember is when Jesus does a miracle, uh, and he still does miracles today, but there's more at play than just the, the miracle itself. If you notice in the Gospels, when he does a miracle, there's usually instructions that accompany it, and so he's working spiritually in the lives of the people that he's ministering to as well. And, and also the miracles uh, are, are kind of parables in a sense. They're teachable moments. They're revelatory in the sense of through the miracle, he's showing who he is. Uh, and, and in the case of this miracle, when you read uh, kind of the parallel account in John chapter 6, he, he proceeds from doing the miracle to teaching the crowd that he is the bread of life, the one who can satisfy their souls, the one who can forgive them of their sins. He's doing these miracles to authenticate his claim to be the Messiah who came to save us from our sins. And if these miracles are true, these, his claims are true. That, that, that's a lot of the point of miracles in the Bible. Uh, so uh, here's kind of, here's the setup for it, okay? Mark 6.30 says, Then the apostles gathered to Jesus, they had been out ministering, and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. 
And he said to them, come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. And, and, and so he's basically saying, guys, you know, you, you've been out working, you've been out serving, now you need a break. We all need a break sometimes, right? There is a thing in the Bible about a Sabbath day. Work six days, take a day off. And so he's saying, you just just need to rest. You can't go all the time. Even Jesus himself, one of his miracles, when he stopped the storm on the sea, they had to wake him up to still the storm because he was a human being. He got tired. We all get tired, weary, uh, discouraged sometimes. He's saying you need a break. He says there were many coming and going. They did not even have the time to eat. In other words, the crowds would not leave them alone. You ever feel that way? You just wish people would leave you alone? If you're a mom, you definitely feel that way, right? Uh, can I just have a second that somebody's not going to bother me, right? When you got little kids, can I just go to the bathroom uh, by myself, right? Just leave me alone for a minute. Or sometimes, you know, you, may, you don't have to be a mom. You may, you know, maybe it's in your business. Maybe it's in your job. It's just what's going on in your life. Just leave me alone. Just give me a minute, right? And, and nobody's giving them a, a minute here. Uh, so it says they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves. They're trying to escape, But the multitude saw them departing, and many knew him and ran there on foot from all the cities. So they arrived before them and came together to them. In other words, they they knew them well enough that they figured out where they were going. They took a different uh, route and met them there, got got there before them. So they were unable to escape the crowds. Uh, I mean, just would not leave them uh, alone. Uh, right? It's like one of these moments where you finally get some time off and then some kind of emergency or crisis arrives and somebody starts bugging you again. That's kind of what's going on here. But notice Jesus' response. It says, Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. Now, before we get into the actual story and, and, and you know, the miracle itself, I want to say something about this. There's really, I think, a, a principle there, um, a pattern that's in those verses. I want you to notice something. It says that Jesus came, he saw, and he was moved with compassion. Do you see that? He went, he saw, And he was moved with compassion. And then he began to teach them. Because when he saw them, the way that he viewed them, his perception of them was they were like sheep having a shepherd, not having a shepherd. In other words, he didn't view them as, as a, just a crowd of people. He didn't view them as a nuisance and an annoyance and people who wouldn't leave them alone and people who wouldn't stop bugging them. He saw them as sheep without a shepherd. How do we view people? But even beyond that, the principle here is, see, this runs counter to how we think. We think if we have this burden, or if we get this feeling, or if we... God sends us a text and tells us to do something for somebody, that at that point, we might consider it. But you know how you get a burden? You know how you get a feeling? You know how you have compassion? When you go and when you see, then you're moved with compassion. So, biblically, we're not to wait until we feel a burden 
or see or have feel compassion to go or to minister to people or to help people or to serve people or to share the gospel or you know to to give in 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 in, in some way where to go you know you know how I got a burden for Honduras it wasn't by praying about it it wasn't because by becoming an expert on Honduras. I didn't hardly know anything about Honduras the first time I went. The way I got a burden for Honduras, a heart for it, was I went. And Keith Rickard, who started our Honduras ministry, recognized this. And before we ever went as a church, he took me. And once I went and saw, then I was moved with compassion. And then I saw people as sheep without a shepherd. And then, you know... That kind of led to what we're doing as, as a church. Just go. Just go. Just find a me, need and meet it. Find a, he, a hurt and heal it. And see what God does in your heart through it. Don't con- try to conjure up a feeling or passion or compassion before you do something. We're just called to minister to people. And then the feelings will come out of that. That's how it works. So... This is how Jesus, this, this was his heart in it. Don't know that it was actually the disciples' heart yet, though. Look at verse 35 and uh, what, what happens next. So it says, when the day was now far spent. So apparently, uh, it just seems like anyway, Jesus taught for a long time. Okay, nothing wrong with long sermons. Just, you know, probably not as good as Jesus, but nothing wrong with long sermons. So he taught for a long time. His disciples at this point came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and already the hour is late. Uh, send them away that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. And, uh, you know, maybe it went something like this. Probably not exactly like this, but something like this. Hey, Jesus. You've been teaching a really long time. It's awesome, of course, but it's a really long time. Most of the day's gone. These people have been here all day. They're hungry. It, it, McDonald's is closed. Uh, we, we can't send them there. We're going to have to send them somewhere so that they can go find some bread to eat, right? There's not a 24-hour grocery store around the corner. Uh, like, we just kind of need to get rid of these people. It still seems to be their heart. Let them fend for themselves. Uh, they need to eat. The disciples at least cared about that. I don't know. Maybe the subtext there is we're kind of hungry here too. You think we could take a break and have some dinner? I mean, we've been going all day here. So, you know, let's, let's make sure these people have uh, something uh, to, to eat. And then um, Jesus, don't go to the next verse yet. Jesus, uh, in, in, in John chapter 6, it, it tells us that Philip was actually was the one who was speaking. And, and, and Jesus actually, uh, it says here that he, he asked the question um, that, that he asked, that he responds in the way that he responds, to test him. But it says he knew what he would do. Okay, he knew the disciples' hearts. And, and so here's the thing uh, about what happened with them and what happens with us. Jesus does not need us to serve him. We need to serve him. Um, he, he doesn't need us to get anything done. Right? He created everything in six days and it was perfect. We've just been messing it up ever since then. He doesn't need us, but we need 
him. And part of the way that he grows and shapes and refines us and builds us spiritually, the, the, part of the way that he changes our hearts is as we go, as we serve, as we meet needs. Listen, you're going to grow more by serving somebody than you are generally by listening to a sermon unless God just you know, has something real specific that you need to hear in that sermon. You're going to grow a whole lot more uh, by going on a mission trip than you are just by sitting in church on a Sunday. There's just something about, you know, Christianity is not designed to be a spectator sport. It's designed to be hands-on and participatory. Now, that's not to say it's balanced. You know, we need to spend time with God. Obviously, we need to be in church, but there's more to it than that. that, that that's what I'm saying. But, you know, it's kind of like those of you with parents who have kids still at home, especially younger kids, sometimes I imagine that you let your little kids help you do things, right? I mean, I hope you do. That, that's part of training them. But are they really helping you? Are they slowing things down, making things worse, making a big mess while they're doing it? But why do you do it? You do it not for you. You do it for them. That's what Jesus was doing with the disciples. That's what he does uh, with us when he calls us to serve him, when he uses us. I, I mean, what a thing that the God of this universe would use us, would work through us in some way, would call us as the body of Christ, his hands and feet, would choose to deposit his truth with us, his power in us, to give us himself by giving the Holy Spirit and by saying, what I'm doing in this world, a lot of it I'm going to do through you right now. That's kind of crazy. Seems like, but that's his strategy. I mean, you know, that's like entrusting, uh, you know, your four-year-old to uh, do your tax return and balance your budget and mow the yard and clean the house and change the oil in the car and all these other things. But he chooses to use us. Well, how is he going to use us? Well, notice verse 37. The disciples said, send them away. Jesus said, you give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. And listen, I think his word to us today, if you're a Christian, you give them something to eat. You recognize that you have a responsibility to minister to people. I mean, if we're going to experience the multiplying power of Jesus in our lives, I believe the first step is to recognize our responsibility to minister and stop running away from it, stop sending people away, but to take our uh, responsibility and to minister to the people around us. Stop making excuses. Stop waiting for a burden or for a feeling or, or, or you know, some kind of compassion to come upon us, but just to meet needs, to love people, to grab what God puts in front of us and say, I'm going to make a difference. I'm going to obey God. I'm going to let Jesus use me. You know, sometimes we're like, what can I do? Or, you know, there's so much need in the world. What kind of difference can I make? Well, I want to remind you of something I've shared with you before. It comes from Andy Stanley. He says something that I think is so wise. He says, just focus on doing for one what you wish you could do for everyone. 
Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. You can't lead the whole world to Christ, but you can lead somebody to Christ. You can't feed every hungry person in the world, but you can feed somebody. You can't encourage every hurting person in the world, but you can encourage somebody. You can't help every needy kid in the world, but you can help one kid. And listen, if we all, as the body of Christ around the world, will do something with what God puts in front of us, Is he not going to take that and his power multiply it and just make a huge impact in the world? Listen, you're not called to do what somebody else is called to do. Charlie's not called to be Philip. Leanne's not called to be Mandy. God's given us different gifts. God's given us different opportunities. You don't have to answer for anybody else, but we all have to answer for us. And if we all do our part, God will use that. Recognize our responsibility to minister. Who and what has God put in front of you? We need to stop making excuses. Okay? That leads to the second step here. Because, you know, they ask a question. It's a reasonable question. They said, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and and give them something to eat? And so a a denarius was basically like a day's wage in in that society. So 200 days wages, almost a year's worth of work, tens of thousands of dollars uh, for us today. I mean, that's what it was going to cost to feed this crowd. That's a reasonable question. You know what? I believe that Jesus is wanting us to get past our just reasonable thinking and begin to have more of an unreasonable kind of faith. I mean, that's really how he's been dealing with me. I've been wrestling with this passage for a couple of months now. And a lot of times, you know, I focus on not just what I can do, but what I can do with God's help. I mean, there's some faith involved. But I mean, a lot of times I'm calculating, thinking, okay, we can do this much, we can do this much, you know, if the Lord comes. But I mean, At what point are we just like, okay, God, what can you do? And that becoming our first thought. That wasn't their first thought. It's not a normal first thought. Right? It's something that God's going to have to work in our hearts. But notice how Jesus responded to them in, in verse 38. He said, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found it, they said, five and two fish. And so, I mean, I guess we assume this little boy, you know, gave it to them. I hope they just, you know, Peter might have just commandeered it. I I don't know. He was a little abrupt like that. But he, 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 you know, probably gave it to them. And they took it and they brought it to Jesus. And here's the principle. If we want to experience the multiplying power of Jesus, I believe he's calling us to give him what we've got and see what he does with it. To give him what we've got and to see what he does with it. You know what? He's not asking for anything that you don't have. He wants you to serve him not with spiritual gifts you don't have, but with spiritual gifts and talents and abilities that he's already deposited inside of you. 
He wants us to steward what he's given us. He's not asking you to be somebody else. He's asking you to use what you've got to give it to him and see what he can do with it. And it may not be much. This wasn't much, but look at what it became in his hands. And so if we take what he's given us collectively and put it in his hands, in his power, how much can he multiply that? I mean, think about, remember back in the Old Testament when God called um, Moses to go and deliver the children of Israel, and he's making excuses? In, in Exodus 4, I think it's verse 2, God asked Moses a very simple question. He said, what's that in your hand? You know what it was? It was a staff. And God took his shepherd's staff and began to use it as a tool that was a part of setting his people free. And I believe God's asking us the same question today. What's that in your hand? What have I given you that you can use for my glory and that you can use for the good of people? Give him what we've got and see what he does with it. But then number three, and I, and I think this goes to what I already said, if we're going to experience the multiplying power of Jesus, we need to stop calculating what we can do and start trusting what Jesus can do through us. The disciples were calculating what they could do with what they had or didn't have or in their own thinking, in their own power, in their own resources. Jesus said, stop thinking that way. Stop trusting me believe in my supernatural power, believe that I can accomplish anything that I want to accomplish, and I can do it through you if that's what I choose to do. So this is what I want to do. I want to stop calculating what I can do and start trusting what Jesus can do through me and what he can do through us. And then, number four, if, if we're going to be used by Jesus, if we're going to experience his multiplying power, we need to obey the instructions that he gives us. And in our instruction book, I mean, he gave them a specific instruction book. This is our instruction book. Faith is taking God at his word and acting on it. And um, walking in faith is trusting that if we obey what he says, faith's not a feeling, it's obedience. If we obey what he says, he's going to do what he says that he will do. I, I said this earlier, a miracle in the New Testament was often accompanied by an instruction. Notice what happens here, Mark 6, 39. It says, he commanded them to make them all sit down in groups on that green grass. He didn't have to do that. I mean, that was really kind of extraneous to the miracle. Now, when God does things, he usually does them in an orderly kind of fashion. That's just how he and that's what he's doing here. And, and, and he's working through them. He's teaching them. But, it, but he gives them an instruction. And so it says, so they sat down in ranks, in hundreds, and, and in fifties. There's nothing wrong with organization and those kind of things. You know, some people, you know, you can go overboard with this and be so focused on the power of God that you neglect administration and organization and those kind of things. And that can end up hindering a move and a work of God. It takes both of these things. I mean, you, you see this here. But notice what he is. It says, when he'd taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven 
You know, even, even Jesus, when he did miracles as a man, it was in dependence upon the power of his Father, the power of the Holy Spirit, because he had laid aside the independent exercise of his divine attributes in the incarnation. And so he looked up to heaven, blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fish, he divided them among all, and they all ate and were filled. It was his power. Now, he gave them an instruction. It didn't take uh, you know, their obedience, but he worked through that. It was his power. And so he says to us, recognize your responsibility. You've got a responsibility. You feed them. You give them something to eat. Um, he, he says to us, give to Jesus what he's already given us. Give it back to him. See what he'll do with it. Trust him. Instead of just trusting what we can do, follow the instructions that he gives us and see what he'll do with our lives. So if you're a Christian, how is it that God wants to use you? Who's he put in your life? Who's he put in your path? Who is it that you need to stop pushing away and trying to send away? What, what is it? What circumstance do you need to stop making excuses and start, start making a difference? Where do you need to go instead of waiting for a feeling? Listen, if you're a Christian, you're a servant, how are you serving the Lord? You can't be a Christian without being a servant. If you're not a Christian, this is something that really happened. It's eyewitness testimony from people who gave their lives claiming that Jesus was the Messiah because they saw him risen from the dead. They were in a position to know whether or not he really rose from the dead. They didn't die for a belief. They died for something they saw. They're claiming this is true. If this is true, he really is the Messiah. He really is the bread of life. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah, the one who died for your sins and rose from the dead? And will you repent and trust him and give him your life? Now, in closing...